raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Luke 9, 1 through 2, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them, say it with me, power and authority. Say it, power and authority. Many people believe those are synonymous terms. They are not power Authority, two different things. Some translations would even position that when you read it so that it would be saying the same thing. Those are not redundant terms. And he gave them power and authority. What was required, was this required for? To drive out all demons. How many? All. And to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. All I can say is based on that. It requires power and authority to address demonic structures, to cure diseases and heal sickness, and to proclaim the kingdom. You can't do it without it. We have the power. You're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When you surrender your life to God and are baptized with the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus said. Most of us in this room would have experienced that. If you haven't, I pray it will happen to you. But once that happens, it's not the end of it. It's then also that we need to go on and have the authority to exercise that power. He gave them power and authority. Father, I thank you for your incredible word that within its pages, there's not a single flaw or error. Your word is perfect, completely so. Unlike anything ever compiled or written by men, that somewhere within its pages you will find mistakes and errors no matter how sincere the author may have been, there's still going to be some flaw because we're flawed. But no matter at what level or what nuance, what depth of, of understanding we come to, your word is perfect at every level. And I pray that you will help us to be able to grasp your word and that we may value it and apply it to our lives and then align our lives with it. That we might experience the elevation that you created us as your children, to be able to experience. For that is your will. And help us to will what you will for us, Lord. And to align with that, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. So to be able to experience elevation, I think requires that you have spiritual authority to be able to address why you're not experiencing elevation at this moment. Regardless of what area of your life that may be in, if you're not, you need to be able to address it. And that's based on the premise that though God wants it to happen, there is an enemy that doesn't want it to happen. And you're going to have to put that guy in his place. You're going to have to take authority over your life that what God's plans are for your life will come to pass instead of what the devil's substitute plans are will take place. You don't want that to happen. To do this, you have to be able to diagnose what's the problem. Fix it. The Pope resigned. That's worldwide news. So don't anybody here be upset if I tell a little Catholic joke, okay? This is a highly sensitive week. But a priest walks onto a subway train, sits down. A guy across from him is reading a newspaper, lowers the newspaper, looks over the top of it, and the priest can see this guy is a mess. I mean... He's a hard-living man. 
I mean, he reeks of alcohol, smells of tobacco, lipstick on his collar. It's early in the morning. The guy's clearly been out all night. Clothes are rumpled. And with pain in his eyes, the man asked the priest, Father, what causes dyspepsia, chest pains, gout, cirrhosis, hypertension, headaches, back pain, and chronic fatigue? And the priest sees an opportunity to minister to this guy. And he says, My son, they are caused by a wild lifestyle, gluttony, alcohol abuse, and the company of wicked women. The man said, That's amazing. The priest says, I can help you, my son. Would you like to be free of these ailments? The man said, I don't have them. I'm just reading in the paper that the Pope does. <laughs> Forgive me for that. Y'all pray for me. You know, so. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. You need to diagnose what the problem is and know how to fix it. Okay? I've been talking to you about the different levels of spiritual authority because I believe, and observation I think bears it out, that just like the Bible said there are different levels of faith, go from faith to faith, different levels of glory, we go from glory to glory. Scripture says that. You and your experience, and I said observation bears this out, not my own, but yours as well. There are different intensities of worship. We slipped into something a moment ago in worship. You've had that experience before, maybe even more intensely in your own life. Privately, I hope so. There are different levels of prayer, dimensions of prayer, so forth. Different levels of giving, different levels of sacrifice, different levels of even suffering, as I pointed out. So many different levels in the kingdom of God. And as I, I pointed out, God wants you to move deeper and deeper into this. Your worship to be more powerful, your prayer to be more powerful in every way that it possibly can. But there are also different dimensions of authority. And God doesn't want you to view authority as just single dimensional, that you have authority or you don't. And once you get it, you got it all. It's not where it's at. There, nothing in life works that way. Even the president, which is the most powerful single office in the world, doesn't have the authority to come in your home and violate the Constitution. Nor would he want to. He's there to preserve and protect the Constitution. And my point is, is on a job. If you have an assigned position that doesn't give you the right to go tell everybody else what to do, you work within your assignment, you have authority there. Paul refers to this as our metron. It's a Greek word. It means our measure of rule. It's the limits of where our authority reach and then do not go beyond that. 2 Corinthians 10, 13 through 15. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, he said, but within the limits of the spear which God appointed us. A spear which especially includes you. He's writing to the Corinthians. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Several times in these two verses, Paul uses... The phrase metron, or the Greek word metron, metron, measure of rule. Now here he's talking geographically that I have been given an authority to come by God to preach the gospel to you, but I don't have authority to go some other places. And if you know the Bible, you remember in the book of Acts that he tried to go one way into Asia. The Spirit wouldn't let him, and he received the Macedonian call 
and was sent into Macedonia, part of Greece, to preach the gospel. And a great revival began. Or he talked to you about the historical and far-reaching implications of that decision. And that's why the West is Christian and the East is not. Is because when Paul came, he brought the message to the, the West. And that means there is a Christian United States, for example. And though that term may not be so popular in some parts of the world, that's just the way it is. And I thank God for that. I'm glad I wasn't raised and, you know, without a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Like many in China and Asia and all throughout the... I mean, it could have been the other way around. We could have been the ones that never heard of who he is. I've shared with you the story of Benny Matthews, whose car broke down in India. He's from India. And as this old guy on this forming, this cart being pulled by an ox, this old Indian farmer is carrying him to a village where hopefully he can get a telephone and call for a mechanic to come help him. Benny turns to the guy and says, do you know Jesus? And the old man scratches his head and said, no, what village does he live in? Absolutely sincere. It could have been me and you in America. Nobody in America has never heard of Jesus. Everyone here has heard the name Jesus. Amen. Because of what Paul did then. And so Paul said, I had authority to preach in some places, but I don't have it in others. I've experienced that in my own life. I've been in many, many nations, 99 now, and many invitations to go in others. And one of the places I frequently get invitations to go to is the Sudan, which is right next to where I'm in ministry in East Africa. I go all up through Ethiopia. I go into Tanzania, Kenya, Rwanda, all of that whole area. Guess what's just north of that? Sudan. Get all these invitations. You know why I haven't gone? The Spirit said, don't. Because I'm not going to cover you if you go there. That's not your assignment. Not right now. That could change. Okay? And that's why I'm in all kind of stuff and in places. And I'm in things that scare some of you half to death. But I got seven angels watching over me. Amen. Not making that up. You've heard you have a guardian angel. Scripture doesn't say that. It says he gives his angels charge over you. Amen. Jewish theologians teach you have seven of them assigned to you at birth. Seven. Not one. Seven. I don't have a guardian angel. I got six more backed up behind him. You don't lay a finger on me unless you get through the seven bad boys first. Amen. And as long as I am in my metron, they cover me. But the moment I leave them here and go over here and decide to do my own thing and get out from underneath my... Then it's a different matter. And you know what I say every time I get an invitation? Uh-uh, not going. Not going there to the Sudan. Not yet, not, in, not, not right now. Maybe somewhere in the future that might change. But God said, no, I'm not going to protect you there. Your angel's going to stay in Kenya or Tanzania, and you're going to be out there by yourself. And that's a place you don't want to be. Amen. And I want to point out that it's not just geographical. If you will look at people and study their lives as it relates to their placement in the kingdom of God you will realize that there are different metrons in prayer. I've told you that nobody has the metron of authority to pray for your family like you do. It's your family. Nobody else can pray in your family like you can. Amen. And I want to tell you it's a form of spiritual abuse if anybody ever tells you differently that I'm the great Pumbaa. I can come in here and, you know, I am the man of power for the hour. I'm the great power prophet. I'm a whatever and they start trying to direct things in your family, uh-uh. You'd never let that happen. That's cultic. 
I, yeah, did you say what you just thought I said? I did, C-U-L-T-I-C. Amen. You have a certain metron in prayer, and I have a certain metron in prayer. And not only that, we have a certain metron in resources. Some people have a certain metron to break through into a level of resources some of us haven't received. There's a certain metron in relationships. Paul isn't just talking about geography. So last week I gave you very quickly a synoptic overview of the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. And I pointed out that of the, in terms of secular authority, there are also 12 dimensions of secular authority. And many of those have their, their, a form or an influence, a, a basis of these, a, a component of this that exists in spiritual authority, except for one, which is coercive authority. That's the one that is not. That is spiritual abuse. That is out of divine order. And so I've, I've taken the time to explain that. And now let me go back and I want to flesh these out one by one. I'm going to do, I may do one one Sunday and two or three another Sunday, but I'm going to get through these as quickly as I can. I actually wanted to do five of them today, but I only made it through one this morning at 7.30. <laughs> <laughs> I was having too much fun. You know, I just, amen. First dimension of spiritual authority is authority over yourself. And what you need to understand is these are often interconnected and you don't move from one until you first mastered the first level. That is to say that you can't necessarily reach authority at the second level until you've had, had it at the first. They are interrelated, and this is very important and progressive. You have to have a breakthrough at one level before you can now move to the next level. Amen. And you'll see why that's important in a, mor- in a moment. So the first dimension of spiritual authority is authority over yourself. Amen. And this includes, as I pointed out, your emotions, your thoughts, and your flesh. Most of us think it's our flesh. But listen to this. What controls your flesh? It's what you're thinking right here. It always begins with a thought. In your emotions, the Bible said, when lust is conceived, or passion, that's when it will next move to sin. Doesn't never start here in the flesh, it starts here in the mind first. Oh, come on, help me out now. And then, if uncontrolled, it will move into other dimensions. Galatians 5 and 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not feed its appetites if you learn to live a spirit controlled life. So what does it mean to live a spirit-controlled life? Galatians 5 and 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Say it with me. With its passions and desires. Whoa! Big insight. The flesh has passion. What is passion? It's emotion. Amen. So... You have to crucify what? Not just your flesh, but your emotions have to be brought into control. And what makes your emotions go a certain direction are the thoughts you think. Help me out. When you exercise authority over other dimensions, but you haven't mastered authority over your own flesh, thoughts, and emotions, this is when you get into spiritual abuse. And coercive authority. And this is what is dangerous because you have too many folk 
that have been wounded by people who haven't mastered moi. Not my brother, but my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. And they're trying to tell other folk what to do when they hadn't learned how to do what needs to be done themselves. Hear what I'm saying? Amen. They hadn't got their own thoughts and feelings under control. And so you point that out. Oh, you in rebel, yeah. You know, you're my enemy. No, they're just pointing out the truth that you can't be at a higher level of authority until you've mastered the very first one, which is yourself. And breakthroughs, as I pointed out, do not occur in your life at the first level. The first level prepares you for the breakthrough that's coming later. Well, this is heavy stuff. Because if you have a breakthrough and you haven't got this under control, you're not only going to break through, you're going to break out. Go crazy. That's why God wants you to get this under control first so that then he can trust you with everything else that he's got coming your way. Amen. And there are, as I pointed out, three things that will determine where you will be three years from now. What are they? The friends you keep, the thoughts you think, and the decisions you make. That's what determines what this flesh is going to do. What determines that, Pastor? The friends you keep, the thoughts you think, and the emotions you feel. This is what is going to determine what your flesh will be doing three years from now. Amen. And sometimes to get authority over yourself, you got to change the friends you have in your life. Mm. How many people have destroyed their lives as a result of having the wrong friends? Ammon, King David's son, raped his own sister and in so doing wrote his own execution sentence because he listened to the wrong friends. The prodigal son allowed his friends, I say that in quotation marks, to persuade him to make choices that led him to such a place of ruin that he found himself not only bankrupt, but eating the refuse that was thrown out to feed swine, which was the lowest possible place, the biggest insult that you could possibly heap upon a Jewish person to this day. And he's in a pig pen eating with swine. Why? Because he had the wrong friends in his life. Paul said that Demas, a promising young man that traveled with Paul, who knows who possibly could have become Paul's successor in ministry, who may have been the apostle to replace Paul. When Paul goes home, Paul says this, that he had forsaken him, Demas forsook Paul, because he loved the wrong Friends, He loved this present world. He not only abandoned Paul, but lost his destiny and the process as well because of the wrong influences in his life. Newsflash. We as humans have a hard time knowing who our friends are. Oh, we're friends. We see things just alike. That's a dead clue. You don't need that guy in your life. You don't need somebody that sees the things exactly the way you do. You need somebody that will challenge you, but I don't like that. 
They're disrespecting me. They're disagreeing with you. No, they're loving you is what they're doing. I had a meeting that went into the hours yesterday. As I was addressing a situation, not here today, not with people that are in this service. don't, Don't think that. I'm not breaking confidence. But serving in my capacity as a spiritual father, people who are not even members here came to talk about a circumstance where there's someone who has set themselves up as a spiritual authority and the life of a family that is tearing that young family apart. Tearing them apart and it's cultic and it's diabolic. Praying that they'll find different companions. My Bible said what God joined together man should not put, be put in asunder. Amen? Oh, hear what I'm saying. In fact, You know, encourage them to separate. And they people came to me wanting to know, is this right? I said, not only no, but heck no. (laughs) You were holding your breath. I know you were. (laughs) I got you. You'll sit up and listen next time more closely. (laughs) No, it's not right. It's anti-biblical. And what makes it worse is this person claims to be a prophet. Oh, no, don't even get me started on that. How many of us would have been saved from making a tragic mistake that that, 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 that has hurt us if we had had an ability to know who friends really are? Friends are not the ones that agree with you with everything you say. I don't even agree with myself with everything I say. I stop later and say, no, that's not right. That's not the way it is. Amen. You ever talk to yourself? There's nothing wrong with that. David did. So, why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Nothing wrong with talking to yourself. Not even wrong with anything when you answer yourself. Nothing wrong with that. If you ever find yourself saying, huh, to the answer, that's when you've got a real problem. <laughs> we don't know who our friends are. We want people to agree with us. The most important people in your life are those that love you enough to tell you the truth. And the most dangerous people in your life are those that tell you what you want to hear. They will hurt you. Amen. What's that song? You'll find out who your friends are. Somebody's going to drop everything. Run and break up their car. You know when you find out? You know when you find out who your friends are? Whenever you got your back against the wall. All those that advised you what to do and blew your life up, they don't know you now. Your friends are the one that stay with you through thick and thin. Your friends are the ones that are honest with you, that disagree when someone ought to disagree. 
And here's the problem. We could all have friends like that, but most of us cut them out of our lives. We want them to agree with us. Uh-huh. No. The truth is you need people to tell you the, exactly the way it is, not what you want to hear. You might not even like what they have to say. But if they help you avoid a pitfall, I mean, you're not that your friend if the bridge is washed out and you say, I'm going that direction, I don't care what happens. And they say, oh, go ahead, go ahead. They let you go over the edge into the swollen river. That's not your friend. I don't care how many cups of coffee you've had together. You hear what I'm saying? Even if they do like cappuccino just the way you like it. That's not really your friend. Second thing that you need to understand is not only do you need the right friends in your life to have spiritual authority over your own life, You need to also control your thought life. Thoughts shape your future. Amen. We are made in the image of God. His thoughts determine our future because we are made in His image. Our thoughts have future creating potential. And if your thoughts are wrong and they're not based upon the Word of God and they're in contradiction to what God says, Guess what happens? Your thoughts will create a future for you that is not the one God intended. Proverbs 23, 7. You don't believe thoughts have power to shape your future? For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think will determine what your flesh will do. This is why you cannot allow yourself the luxury of a negative thought. Come on, let me hear somebody in the building respond and say, that's right. You must replace them with thoughts that reflect the knowledge of God and the supremacy of his word. Here's the problem. God in his infinite love and mercy came to us and found us when we were lost and wretched and undone. We didn't find him. He found us. We didn't go looking for God. He came searching for us. Rolled up his shirt sleeves. Reached down into the miry clay. And brought us out and washed us up. Cleansed us with his blood. Filled us with his spirit. Woo, I feel the presence of God. I'm so happy today. Amen. Set our feet on the right path. Put us on a rock. Yes, he did. I've said it before. I quoted Eugene Peterson's translation of Psalms. Is it 119? Forgot what verse where he said that he lifts the poor out of the dust and the needy out of the trash heap. Eugene Peterson says this, that he takes those who have been set by the road with the trash. Wow. And in my mind, I see God as a dumpster diver. Crawling in the dumpster, looking for me and you. Among the thrown away garbage bags. Yesterday's Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
and the coffee grounds and discarded newspapers, God rolls up his shirt sleeves and goes looking for me and you. Washes us off. Cleanses us with his blood. Writes our name in the book of life. Fills us with his spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about, anybody? But as I said, therein is the problem because the one thing that we carry out of that is not our past, but our way of thinking. The past is put under the blood. But guess what happens? Paul said you must then be renewed in your mind. Because you were raised in a fallen world, ruled by a fallen Lord, with principles that engender death and not life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me make it really plain. And so raised in that life, under a fallen Lord, in a fallen world, what your brain was programmed with was stuff that would end up costing you and making you not succeed but fail. Now you get saved, and God's got to reprogram all of this. How does he do it? He gives you a B-I-B-L-E. He gives you his word. That's what if you don't ever read this, you're still carrying around all those self-destructive thoughts and tendencies. You hear what I'm saying? Oh, thank God for his word. The word of the Lord is right. I have esteemed your word more than my necessary food. That's what Job said. Hallelujah. Amen. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. You can't even see how to go without this book. Why? Because what you learned in the past life is full of darkness. Here's the problem. Your brain is like a computer. It is. The first computer ever created was modeled on the human brain. And though they have created these computers that are now so complex that I, I don't even know how many translations of the Bible I have on this little iPad right here, but I have many of them. Got Strong's Concordance, got all kind of things on this thing. And stuff that I use to research and what would have taken a whole library of books to fill up this platform, I carry on a little iPad. But they have yet to be able and never will develop a computer that is efficient as the human brain. Your computer system, your brain runs your life. You hear about the Apple, IO, the, the, the Apple operating system? Or you hear about Android operating systems? Okay, let me talk to you about God's operating system right now. Oh man, what runs your life is His Word. But here's the thing. You, you hear people talking about, uh, you know, got to uh, add a new wrinkle to my brain. I'm going to learn something new. There's more truth to that than most folks realize. Science has discovered that you actually think through a neurological process where hormones and chemicals interact together to produce a tiny electrical current. Long before Ben Franklin ever flew that kite in that storm, God knew what electricity was. And here's what you need to know. Your brain is programmed to operate on that. And these chemicals and hormones that God has put in your body acting together create neurological pathways. They do. That's like the wiring in a computer or the programming of a computer. And when you're programmed out there in a fallen world, all this hard wiring that's in your, your, the way you think is hardwired the wrong way. 
It's wired the way the enemy wants it to be wired. When you get into the kingdom, God starts laying down new wiring. And so what happens is you start repeating the word, thinking what the word said. You bring in the thought, align your thoughts with God's word. And what happens is it starts laying a new neurological pathway in your brain. Call it a wrinkle, whatever you want. And what happens is the more you think this thought, the more it becomes, as it were, etched into your, your brain. And so after a while, now then you're not thinking the old stuff, you're thinking the new stuff. What you need to know is that's what happens as long as everything's going well. But whenever you run into a wall, anybody ever do that? Come to a hard place, difficult place. You know what you do? Your brain recidivates. It goes back to the old original wiring. Mm-hmm. And you go back to the old thinking. So when you have, you know, give me full of faith and power, man of God, for the hour, hallelujah, I believe in healing. The doctor says, you got a real bad x-ray here. And you go, oh, my God. Oh, oh, call your family. I'm dying, I'm dying. Y'all buy that life insurance yet. Amen. Give me an attorney. I need to write a will. And, and why did he recidivate? Because the hardwiring was still there. And he has only been laying down new wiring for a short period of time. But as you continue to confront these negative thoughts and say they are wrong. Watch it now. I'm going to get a little bit more plain in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to talk to you. But I feel that's the way things are. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the difference in feelings and thoughts for just a moment here too. And their contribution and what they add to the, the whole dynamic. The longer you in, reject that, even though the feeling and emotion is there and say, this is what the book said, regardless of what my feelings are, the longer you reject that, the more etched into your brain the new wiring system becomes until the day arrives that your brain forsakes the old wiring in favor of the new. That's an oversimplification. It just means this. Don't you get locked into the way things used to be. This is one of the things about tradition that you need to understand. Okay? And culture, as long as it equips you well, that's good. But if it's holding you back, jetson it. Get rid of it. Amen. Don't judge everybody on the basis of what you feel. Hmm. I'm preaching so good right now. Second Corinthians 10, 5, and 6 says this. We demolish arguments. Listen, at every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What do you do with your thoughts? Take them captive. You know what this word suggests? You've got to forcefully capture them. Come on now. You wouldn't have to take them captive if they were compliant and obedient. You get my point here? If they were already under control, you would not be advised to capture them. 
I'm having some fun right now. Because, but you don't understand, this was the way I was raised. You were raised wrong, baby. That's just what I'm trying to tell you. You were raised in a fallen world ruled by a fallen Lord. And you got to say, I'm well, I'm healed. Even when the doctor keeps telling you you're sick, your body says, oh, you got to keep saying by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed, I'm healed. I'm... And you know what happens? You wake up months later when you've been wrestling with yourself, trying to make yourself believe you're healed. People say, how do I build faith? I'm talking to you about how to do it right now. And one day you wake up and you realize, I don't feel bad anymore. And you say, when did this change? It started changing when you started capturing your thoughts. Mm, hallelujah. Somebody in the building said amen. amen. Henry David Thoreau said, as a single footstep will not make a path on the earth, as a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind, to make a deep physical path, we walk again and again. To make a deep mental path, we must think over and over the kind of thoughts we wish to dominate our lives. All of us were raised with junk. Nobody in this room got spared. You don't get through the li this life, this world, without being wounded. You don't. If you're one of those that made it this far without a wound, I'd like to shake your hand and have your autograph after service. You may not get wounded the same way I am, but we all got wounded somewhere. We all had stuff go on. We were all hurt. You may have different scars than I have scars, and God allowed us to be able to build ministries based upon the difference in our scars. By that I mean we're not all the same, so I got hurt in one area that enables me to help somebody that also was wounded in that area. You got hurt in another way, you can help somebody else that I can't help. So instead of living in your past, you need to take your past and make it become an asset to your future. Amen. Okay, let's do this whole thing that I've had you do before. Do this. Come on, put your hands out there. Okay, everybody driving? You driving? Now do this. Come on, keep your head like What's going to happen? You're going to have a wreck. That's what's going to happen. I am a prophet of God right now. I will tell you, you're going to have a wreck. And I don't even be anointed to do that. Don't even need to be anointed. I'll tell you, you're going to have a wreck. And you know why people have wrecks in life? Because they look to their past instead of letting their past be an asset to their future. They want to, watch this, fix the past. Ho, 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 ho. That's funny. You're going to fix the past? Where are you going to find it? Well, I'm a, no, because the moment you turn around, the past is shut behind iron doors. You can't get to it. All these movies about time travel, they can make all the movies they want to. You ain't done it yet. And don't hold your breath till you do. You, know. you hear what I'm saying? You can't fix the past because it's already behind you. And the wise man said, that which is wanting cannot be numbered and that which is... Crooked cannot be made straight. 
That's what Solomon said. Once it's done, it's done. As a tree falls to the north or to the south, there it will lie. Tree's not going to lay down on facing the north and say, I don't like his position. I'm going to get up and go over here and lay down the other direction. Doesn't get to do that. And you don't get to fix the past either. Why am I saying this? It's because what you need to do is don't try to fix it. Fix your thoughts about it. Amen. Amen. And do you know what else is some people's big problem? Not only is it their friends, they haven't been able to recognize real friends and choose friends wisely, but, and not only is it their thoughts, but here's what it is. Cut it right there. That's how you stop being a destiny's child. When you let emotions take you over. I'm talking about having authority within yourself. You can't have authority over demons or resources. When you don't even have authority over yourself. And to have authority over yourself, you've got to change your thoughts, control your emotions, and make sure you're around the right people. Amen. Psychologists tell us that up to 85% of our decisions are made and based upon our emotion rather than our logic or understanding. You don't master your emotions. They will master you. Hmm. Proverbs 29 and 11. But God made me this way. You know what Lady Gaga said? Y'all didn't know I knew about her, did you? I've been at a few saints' houses before. You want your TV channels to... No, I'm too joking with you. Proverbs 29 and 11 said, A fool expresses all his emotions, but a wise person controls them. That's enough for me to just stop right there and dismiss y'all and we come back and look at this verse for the next six months. A fool expresses all his emotions. Well, that's just the way I feel it. Do you know there are people that go on their feelings rather than on what's really happening? You ever been a victim of somebody who made their assessment of you based on their feelings? Not what was really going on. You know what that is? That's witchcraft. It is a Jezebel spirit. I'm really preaching right now. And how can God trust you with spiritual authority when there's a Jezebel spirit at work in your own life and mind? What is witchcraft? Witchcraft is when someone, even you, allow your thinking to be controlled 
by feelings. I feel this is what's going on. I hear anybody using those kind of phrases in a church service. This is what I feel rather than what this is what I seem to sense or what I feel the Holy Spirit think the Holy Spirit is saying. If they want to make it feeling based, they've lost me right there. You don't go by your feelings in this thing. You don't walk by your feelings. You walk by faith and not by sight. Hello. You know why? I've seen lives destroyed by people that went by their feelings. I thought. I felt. And the evidence contradicts that. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to say my feelings are wrong. And yet the truth is perception is greater than reality. Because you can create an alternate perception, an alternate reality, I should say, based upon your perception. I'm closing with this. But let me just simply point out to you. One reason your brain is so powerful, the thinking processes receive input from other people, friends and so forth. They become critical analysts, as it were, in evaluating what you accept is true. Okay? Your own thoughts and your own emotions. These three things together combined determine what you end up believing and perceiving truth to be. You don't think influences around you determine what your perception of truth is? How about this? I was Baptist born, Baptist from bread, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. Amen. You ever hear anybody say that? That means because grandma did it, I'm going to do it. Amen. Oh, come on. You know what I'm saying. I've been a Pentecostal. Grandma was a Pentecostal. Whatever it may be. The, the bottom line is simply this. Your brain doesn't think in abstract terms. This is so powerful. For example, if you think of a car, you don't see the abstract letters of the alphabet strung together, C-A-R. You see a picture of a car. Am I right? Okay. Whenever you think of your dad who's going on to be with God, you don't see the letters D-A-D. You see him, his picture. You know what is always funny? I hear people that have had visions of the afterlife, and they see their relatives. They died. Maybe the, maybe the person who's having the vision was killed in a car wreck or died on an operating table. They were resuscitated, and they come back with these crazy stories, wild stories about they died, and they saw mom and dad. And they see mom and dad the same age they were when they, their mom and dad went to heaven. And many times, the one who's on the operating table that died is now older than when mama was when she died. And they're looking at mama, and she's younger than they are. Because, you know what? Your mind captures a picture of her the way you last saw her. You don't believe that happens? I went years without seeing some of my relatives. I've got a brother that pastors in Toronto. I've got a, uh, Jerry has a brother that that lives in Arkansas. I hadn't seen him for years, and it was a family function years ago, and we all got together, and I'm looking, and I'm remembering my brother and my brother-in-law all looking a certain way, and I'm looking out, and I'm wondering, who are these fat, pot-bellied, gray-haired people standing? <laughs> Tell me you hadn't done the same thing. <laughs> and you're thinking, boy, I sure am looking good compared to some of them. <laughs> No, I'm joking with you about that. Amen. Come on, you know what I'm saying is true. 
This is the way it works. Your mind doesn't think in abstract terms of characters of the alphabet. It thinks in terms of pictures, which is why you need to change what your mind is seeing. And that is determined by your emotions, your thoughts, and the influences of the critical analyst in your life, which are the people closest to you. And only then will you be able to get control of who you are. This is why you need to stop seeing yourself as a victim or weak. Hello. Stop seeing yourself as sick. Come on. By the grace of God, I'm already healed in Jesus' name. Doctor's report doesn't just show it. It just doesn't show it yet. Stop seeing yourself as broke. In the name of Jesus, I'm a financier and I'm blessed and I got money in numerous banks in this city. Amen. That's what you need to be thinking to yourself. It hasn't happened yet, but this is, I'm blessed. Stand with me and come to, and join me here and I'm closing right now. You will not want to miss next Sunday. I'm going to rip. I will be talking about having authority in the home. All you men need to be here next week. And all you ladies, all you men have been saying, I'm the head of this house. <laughs> Don't miss being here next week. And all you ladies that smile and say, he may be the head, but I'm the neck that shakes that head. <laughs> Don't miss next week. You hear what I'm saying? Ooh, Lord have mercy. I need somebody to say, this is my time of elevation. Would you I'm being elevated. This is my year, my season. It's coming. Get ready. It's... I got an email. I saw that. 